Ruth chapter 1. It's on page 267 of the Church Bible. When I was in placement in Karatz during May and June, I preached a short series on the book of Ruth. And I plan this morning and tonight to preach the first two of that series and perhaps any further times I'm back here in Carrick. I'll preach the rest of them. So today, this morning and this evening, we're concentrating on Ruth chapter 1. And the book begins by telling us that it's set in the time of the judges. Early in Israel's history, when they're living in the promised land, the judges ruled. They had no king. And by and large, it was a very wicked period. Everyone did what was fit in their own eyes. But amidst all the darkness of the period of the judges... There are a few bright spots, a few spots of hope. And the book of Ruth is one bright spot of hope in the midst of all this darkness. We begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you. To your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you. As you have shown to your dead. And to me. May the Lord grant. That each of you will find rest. In the home of another husband. Then she kissed them. And they wept aloud. And said to her. We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said. Return home my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons. Who could become your husbands? Return home my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. 
May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. We end our reading of God's word there. The boys and girls will come up to the front. I'll speak to them for a few moments. When your Bibles at Ruth chapter 1, helpful to have it open in front of you this morning. Ruth chapter 1 and the theme of our service comes from verse 20 where Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Naomi arrives back in her hometown of Bethlehem. The whole town is out to see her. They're saying, is this Naomi? And Naomi says to them, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. And she doesn't mean bitter in the resentful way that, that we mean it, but unpleasant. She says, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. The Lord has made my life very unpleasant. She goes on to say that she's returning empty. She's returning afflicted by God. She's returning with a life full of misfortune. And so she says, Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has made my life very bitter. And perhaps this morning, you hear those words of Naomi and... You say to yourself, I know exactly what you mean, Naomi. Life isn't pleasant. Life is bitter. I know what you're talking about. Perhaps the circumstances in your life mean that you have a bitter cup to drink. Life is difficult. Things are hard. A bitter cup to drink. Maybe there's sin which is leaving a bitter taste in your mouth. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I want to think about these words of Naomi's this morning. And first, I want to think about the long, dark, bitter night. The long, dark, bitter night. Naomi experiences what is a long, dark, bitter night in her life. At least ten years of suffering and hardship and affliction, a mixture of bitter circumstances and bitter sin. Starts with a famine in the land of Israel. The village of Bethlehem, the name means house of bread. The area was 
known for its productivity. And in the house of bread, there is no bread. There's a famine. Hardship and bitterness. It's not a fluke that there's a famine. It's not bad luck that there's a famine. Famine in the Bible is God's punishment for sin. God had made a solemn promise with his people. If they obey him, he'll bless them. If they disobey him, he'll send punishment and curses upon them. One of those punishments and curses was famine. So when famine comes, it means the people have been unfaithful. They've been disobeying God. And this is God's punishment. So Naomi and Elimelech, their two sons, they're caught up in this famine caused by the people's sins. Not necessarily their fault. It's bitter circumstances for them. But it's caused by sin on a, on a national level, on a corporate level. So that's the, the first bitter circumstance that they find themselves in. In this long, dark night of their lives. Then... Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her sons, they moved to the country of Moab, down to the the east of Israel, across the Jordan. They had been living in God's promised land, place of God's blessing, place of God's favour. It was their place, it was Israel's homeland, they had land there, they had houses there. And for them to leave and go to Moab, well it was wrong for them to leave. That was sin. It's not just wrong for them to leave Israel. It's wrong for them to go to Moab. Of all the places, Moab. Moab were Israel's sworn enemies. They were, Israel were, weren't allowed by God to make treaties with the Moabites. Because when they'd been travelling up from Egypt up to the Promised Land, the Moabites hadn't allowed them to pass through their land. They hadn't provided them with anything. They'd refused provision. And not only had they refused provision but they'd they'd hired a witch doctor Balaam to come and curse the Israelites not only did they hire a witch doctor to curse them but they led the Israelites astray into sexual sin these were bitter bitter enemies and they had utter contempt for each other the Israelites looked at the Moabites as being inbreds because of their history and where they'd come from and the, the Moabites just had sheer contempt for the Israelites. They found a monument in Moabite country which celebrates the slaughter of whole Israelite towns. Such as the contempt that these two nations have for each other. They're putting up monuments celebrating slaughtering each other. In Moab, the people worship Chemosh. One of the most hideous gods man has ever dreamed up. One of the most awful idols imaginable. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to this God. So not only are uh, Elimelech and Naomi wrong to leave Israel. They're wrong to go to Moab. Their sin leads them into bitter circumstances. And into this long dark night. And once they're in Moab. Things just get worse and worse. Naomi's husband Elimelech dies. His name meant... My God is King. And he dies. And you're left wondering what type of God, what type of King can keep a man alive in a foreign country. It's not necessarily because of a sin that he dies. But it should cause Naomi and her family to stop and think about where they are, what they're doing and where they're going. But things get more bitter. 
Naomi's two sons take wives from the Moabites, and that was wrong as well. They were forbidden to marry the other peoples around them. And in fact, this too was like famine, intermarriage with other nations. That was a sign of God's curse, God's punishment on the people. And here, Naomi's sons marry pagan women in a foreign country. And again, should have caused them to stop and to think. But for ten years, ten years, the family persist in this state of affairs. And in those ten years, well, they're barren ten years. There's no children come to the family. And in, in, in that culture, children were prized especially highly. Children were the symbol of God's blessing and fruitfulness on your family. And so to not have children, that was an oddity. Was that because of their sin and disobeying God and going to Moab and marrying foreign wives? Or was it just the circumstances of their lives? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. Life isn't always clear as to whether what comes to us is a result of sin or God's providence and the circumstance in our lives. But this is the way it is. And it's bitter for Naomi and her family. And then her two sons are taken. In verse 5, it rises like a climax to all of this. Both Malon and Killian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Naomi's a widow in a foreign country. No one to care for, no one to provide for, no one to look after her, no one to carry on the family name. A long, dark, bitter night. Then, in verse 6, we the first mention of God in the book. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. God has come. The period of punishment and judgment is over. Now there's food. There's bread in the house of bread. There's bread in Bethlehem. And so Naomi and her two daughters-in-law set out from Moab to come home. We read in verse 19 of their return. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Let's picture the buzz that's happening here. Perhaps people are out working in the fields, and they see two figures coming along the road, and they start to ask, Who's this coming along? I don't recognise these people. They get a little closer. I think... Is this Naomi? And maybe some little children set off from the fields and they rush into the town. And they tell everyone, Naomi's coming back. And she's got two strangers, or once there's a stranger with her. Who could this be? And they, the whole town gathers and there's a chatter and a buzz. And they say, is this really Naomi? I wonder, did Naomi look very different? Ten years have passed. They've been long, hard, bitter years. As she aged, as she wrinkled, as she careworn. Is the hair a lot greyer than it was? Is there a spark missing from her eyes? I'm saying, is this Naomi? In verse 20, Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Because the Lord, the Almighty, has made my life very bitter. says, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life better. She blames God for all this. She, she says he's the one 
who's caused this. The way she says it, the language she uses it, it's unmistakable. Saying God has caused this. And it's the Almighty God, the, the name that she uses for God, it's, it's one that stresses his sovereign power, his control. The way he rules over all things. How he sends blessing and punishment. He's the blesser and he's the one who has made her life very bitter. In verse 21, she really emphasizes this. She emphasizes that it's Naomi versus God, Naomi against God. She says, I went out full, the Lord has brought me back empty. I went out full, the Lord has brought me back empty. So she says, the Lord has afflicted me, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And Naomi, she's returned to Bethlehem with nothing. No one to care for, no possessions, no reputation perhaps. She and her family, they'd run away from Bethlehem when things got tough. Everyone else had stayed. She had all the stigma of being a widow. Her family name was cut off. No sons. No one to inherit the land. All the shame that went along with childlessness in that culture. She returns with nothing. Naomi had gone out full to prevent emptiness coming from the famine. And she returns empty. Bringing home the emptiness that she tried to avoid. Her life bitter and empty because of circumstances she found herself in because of sin long dark bitter night in Naomi's life and I wonder does that sum up your life at the minute is it long dark night full of bitter experiences empty of God's blessing perhaps because of circumstances Perhaps because of sin. Bitter taste of losses in this life. Grief. Maybe it's despair. Maybe it's loneliness. Pain of singleness. Maybe you've got deep scars from the past. The bitterness of circumstances. Maybe there's pain through family problems. Maybe there's bitterness caused by sin. Sin is robbing you of fellowship with God. Maybe... You've made something else your God. You've prioritised yourself before God. Maybe you're running away from some duty that God wants you to do. Some area of obedience. Perhaps even for, like Naomi, been a long time. Ten years of running. Ten years of avoiding being where she should be. Persisting in sin. Bitterness from circumstances and sin. Sometimes as a Christian, life seems nothing but trouble. Nothing but bitterness. One long dark night. Maybe this morning you're blaming God. Not in necessarily in a negative sense. But saying he's sovereign. He's the almighty. He's the one sending it. I don't understand what he's doing. Long dark bitter night. But after the long dark bitter night comes the glimmer of a sweet dawn. That's the second thing we want to look at this morning. The glimmer of a sweet dawn. 
Naomi is right to blame God. To say that God has caused it. He is sovereign. He is in control of all things. He sends everything. He is in control. She's right to blame God to say that he caused it. But she's not right to say that God is against her. To say that it's Naomi versus God. Her life is bitter. Her life is empty. But Naomi doesn't yet know the end. We look around our world. And life is bitter and empty for many folk. In the football changing room yesterday. Two fellas in the team were discussing. How one of their friends had died on Christmas uh, on Christmas Day. And one fella said. These things happen unfortunately. Another fellow said, that's just another day in the world. That's just another day in the world. Is that what life is like? Long, dark, bitter nights, and that's just another day in the world. Or is there more to it? Well, there is more to it. Because in this chapter, there's a glimmer of the dawn that Naomi and Ruth will experience. If you've ever been up early, and you've seen the sun come up, You'll be able to picture that first glimmer of dawn creeping into the cold, dark night, the stillness of the night. And yet there's a ray of light because God isn't against her, but God is for Naomi. She can't see it in the darkness and the bitterness of the night, but God is for her. And there's two hints, two hints right at the very start of the book. Where is the story set? Where does it all happen? Where does it take place? Bethlehem. Who are Bethlehem's most famous sons? Two great kings. King David and King Jesus. And God has been emptying Naomi to fill her up. And we'll see as we go through the book that God has plans to fill Naomi. To make her life pleasant. And not just Naomi, but plans to fill the emptiness of this world. Plans to make the long dark night of this world pleasant and sweet. And where do we see this glimmer clearest of all? Right at the very end of the chapter. Naomi and Ruth returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. That's the most important verse in the chapter. That's the key to the chapter and the book of Ruth. The barley harvest. Barley harvest in Israel is earlier than here. It's in April, May time. And Ruth and Naomi arrive back at the barley harvest. And it's at just the right moment. Stuart Elliott says that big doors swing on small hinges. Picture a big, heavy door. How does it move between being closed and open? Small little hinge. And the barley harvest is the small hinge on which enormous doors turn. Because through their return, through Naomi and Ruth, the big door of King David is going to come into the world. And what's more, King Jesus is going to come into the world. And what's the hinge? It's the barley harvest. Taken back a month earlier, 
Ruth won't be out in the fields gleaning, as she will see later in the book. They come back a month later. They've missed the harvest. She won't be out gleaming. They come back at the barley harvest. And Ruth will go out into the fields, and she'll just happen into the field of the one person in the whole town who can redeem her. And all of history changes. King David, Israel's greatest king, comes into the world. King Jesus, the greatest king of all, comes into the world. Why? Because Ruth and Naomi come back at the barley harvest. It's the smallest of hinges and all of history hinges, swings on it. Big doors swing on small hinges. It's the glimmer of a sweet dawn. The dawn that will bring salvation to the whole world. And friends, in the middle of your long, dark, bitter nights, that can give you the strength to persevere. Whenever circumstances are bitter, can give you the strength to persevere. Because King Jesus is overruling. King Jesus is the one who determined that they would come back at the barley harvest. He's overruling everything. We don't know what the small hinges are in our lives. Chance meeting with someone. Your car breaks down. You're not where you should be because of that. Maybe it's even a smell or a sound or a song reminds you to speak to someone. Maybe something subconscious makes you do something we have no idea what the small hinges are in our lives the thing which everything can change but King Jesus is overruling he has placed those hinges there he's in control it means we can hope and persevere in the bitterest of circumstances there's always a glimmer Why is God so slow? Why does he stay his hand sometimes? Why does he take ten years before beginning to move and bring blessing into Naomi and Ruth's lives? Why such a long, dark night? There's many different reasons. God's ways are not our ways. Sometimes God answers by the back door. We're standing at the front door praying for something and it's not coming. God doesn't seem to be answering. And all the while God is coming into our lives by the back door and he's filling us up with blessing. He's filling up our emptiness. Sometimes maybe we're praying for a change in circumstances or for something to happen and it's not happening. And we're thinking where is God? And all the while he's giving us strength to pray. All the while he's giving us strength to hope and to hold on. He's answering by the back door. Maybe we're praying against some sin. And I think God's not helping us. He's not helping us to overcome this sin. We're looking at the front door. Looking for victory over this sin. And God's at the back door. Making us more humble. Seeing us ourselves as we really are. Understanding our true nature. So that we love him more. His ways aren't our ways. He's wiser than us. Sometimes he wants us to use better the grace that we have. child goes off to university, runs out of money, writes an email or a letter to his father asking for more funds, and the father doesn't answer. The father doesn't give him any more money. Why? Because he wants the son to use the money he has better. He wants him to use it more wisely. Sometimes that's what God does with us. He wants us to use what he has given us better. 
to use it more wisely. Maybe we're praying for strength in certain circumstances in our lives. And it doesn't seem to be coming. But God is giving us, wants us to, to use our wisdom better. To avoid certain circumstances. To not get into those circumstances. He wants us to use better what he has given us. He's wiser because often he uses our weaknesses to, to show his strength. You don't think a lot about seeing a man who's healthy, who eats well, exercises and sleeps well. You don't think very much about that. But if you see a man who's weak, sickly, patched up by the doctor, you think what a wonderful doctor. Someone who's frail and feeble and yet they're on their feet because of the doctor. You think what a wonderful doctor that must be. And God uses our weaknesses to show his strength. His ways are not our ways. Sometimes he doesn't change our circumstances. We're battered, we're bruised and he carries us. And that's to his glory. The glimmer of a sweet dawn. And you see, <clears throat> all these bitter things in Naomi's life, they're really advancing God's purpose. They're advancing God's purpose. Bringing about what he wants. He wants to bring the Saviour into the world. And so he brings these bitternesses into Naomi's life. How can the bitter be made sweet? <clears throat> By King Jesus. He's the ruler of of the world. He's the one who makes the bitter sweet. And the cross. Was the ultimate bitterness. The innocent son of God. Dying for his people's sin. How bitter that was. What a bitter cup that was. For our saviour to drink. And the garden of Gethsemane tried to push it away. Lord if it's, it, if it's possible. Take this cup away from me. It wasn't possible. And he drank the bitter cup. And yet look at the good that came from it. Our salvation. Our redemption. Our forgiveness. Bitterness and sweetness. It's our faith that gives us the power to persevere in the midst of all this. Do you feel that you're floundering, drowning in the midst of all the, the bitterness and darkness of life? Pray. Ask for faith. God has promised to give faith to those who ask for it. And it's faith that gives us the power to persevere. In the bitter night of circumstances, there's a glimmer of dawn because of the cross of Christ. He bought us God's favour by his blood. The cross shows us how bitterness can be turned to sweetness. That's the bitterness of circumstances. What about the bitterness of sin for the Christian? Can anything be done about the bitterness of sin? If you're a Christian this morning, the cross is the crystal clear, cool, sweet water that washes away the bile of your sin. It takes away the taste of the bitterness of sin from our lives. Forgiveness takes away the taste of guilt. It takes away the bitter taste of fear of God's wrath. Jesus' kingship can take away the bitter taste of the consequences of sin and the harshness of sin's consequences. 
sin and judgment can be turned into blessings and joy. Sins and judgment can be turned into blessings and joy because of what Christ did on the cross. Because of his work, we're in God's favour. And we'll see as we go through the book of Ruth that God is going to bless this woman who accuses him. This woman is accusing him in verse one, and the end, or in chapter one, and at the end of the book, she's going to be blessing God and praising Him. What if you're not a Christian? Can anything be done for the bitter taste of sin in your life? Nothing can wash away the bitterness of your life and of your sin. It's bitter now. The consequences are bitter. It'll get more bitter. In the life to come. In eternity. There's no hope. It won't get better. Apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus. Apart from trusting in his work on the cross. Turning from our pride. Turning from our independence. And from thinking we can make life better. And deal with sin and its consequences ourselves. Won't get better. Apart from trusting in Jesus. The one who makes the bitter taste of sin and takes it away. Naomi's life was bitter and empty. Bitter and empty because of a mixture of circumstances. On the one hand sin. On the other hand. We know the end. We know that God has plans to bring fullness where there is emptiness. To bring sweetness where there, where there is bitterness. To bring the Messiah through this family. So to close the the, the point of this message this morning it's not cheer up life will be okay in the end life is hard life is bitter sin's consequences are bitter circumstances are difficult but in the midst of all this we can know hope we can know peace we can know that all these bitter things in our lives as Christians are not working against us but they're working for us God is using them to bring about his purposes. And there's always hope. No matter how bitter life gets for the Christian, there's always hope. Because King Jesus is coming. And he'll put all things right. So, there's always hope. We don't know what will transpire in life. We don't know if our difficult circumstances will get better immediately. We don't know. So hold on lightly to the things of this world. And yearn and long for the glory to come and everything will be put right we don't know how long and how dark the night is but because of the cross of Jesus and what he's done we know that there is a dawn Amen Lord we give you our praise for you're the one who takes care of the foreigners and the widows, for the Naomi's and the Ruth's of this world, for those scarred by the bitterness of circumstances and the bitterness of sin, we thank you that you're the one who takes care of people like, like this. And Lord, we know that we need your mercy. We live in the long, dark, bitter night, and life is difficult. We have difficult circumstances, and we have the bitterness of sin. We thank you that you're the God who deals with these that you rule all things, and that for your people, you're working all things for their good. 
and that you are the one who's washed away the bitter taste of sin and all of its consequences from us. Lord, we pray for any here today who as yet haven't tasted that sweet forgiveness. May today, may they know what it is to have the bitterness of sin taken away by Christ on the cross. And Lord, for us, your people, we pray that you would fix our eyes on Jesus, the ruler of this world who rules all things according to his will for our good, the one who died on the cross, the one who turns bitterness into sweetness. And may we remember the cross and all of our difficulties. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.